Welcome to the IEEE Brain Podcast Series, an IEEE Future Directions Digital Studio production. In this episode, Kristen Welly, Associate Professor at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and Research Vice Chair in the Department of Neurosurgery, discusses research that lies at the intersection between neural device technology and their implications in the nervous system. Having previously worked at the FDA focused on neural interface technology, Kristen provides valuable insights on entrepreneurial opportunities, regulatory issues, and the importance of promoting diversity in the neuroscience community. Kristen, thank you for taking some time to contribute to the IEEE Brain Podcast series. Can we start with you sharing a little bit about yourself? Um, so my name is Kristen Welly, and I am currently an associate professor at the University of Colorado at the School of Medicine. And I am in the Department of Neurosurgery, where I'm the vice chair for research. And I also have an appointment in the Departments of Physiology and Biophysics. And I think that sort of aptly describes my research interests, which really lay at the intersection between um, neurodevice technology and their implications in the nervous system. And so specifically looking at um, the ways in which devices can change structural and functional plasticity in the nervous system. So what was your work prior to coming to the University of Colorado? So prior to my time at University of Colorado, I spent five years at the FDA in the Center for Devices and Radiological Health. Um, and there I had the, the, the privilege and the pleasure of starting a new research group uh, that was focused on neural interface technology. And um, I sort of fell into that position serendipitously. Um, prior to that, I was completing a PhD at the University of Pennsylvania in neuroscience. And I was doing really basic cortical neurophysiology in the visual system, um, sort of much all in animal work and really exploring some basic circuit mechanisms in the adult visual system. And I knew that as I was finishing my PhD, I wanted to turn to research that was a little more applied and had translational potential. So I started looking around and a a friend of a friend and someone else, um, you know, (laughs) gave me some information about a new position that was being created at the FDA. And this position was a joint effort between um, some of the researchers at the, at, in the Center for Devices and Radiological Health and DARPA, who was providing funding for this position. Yeah. So I was able to, um, I was hired on initially as a postdoc, but due to a, a set of circumstances outside of my control um, and some shifts in the agency, about three months later, I was hired on as a PI and um, sort of given the directive to st- create a new research group on neural interface technology um, with this grant funding. During your time at the FDA, you put on a number of workshops. Can you describe these and how they engage the community? Yeah. Um, One of my personal missions and, and goals while at the FDA was to increase communication between the regulators who are primarily biomedical engineers who now work in device regulation at the FDA um, and the broader scientific community. Uh, Because the FDA deals with so much proprietary information, um, free exchange between FDA and the scientific community is limited in some ways. Um, However, there are some specific ways to encourage communication between um, these different worlds. And so one of those ways that's widely used is through public workshops. And so 
I invest a lot of time and energy in designing and getting approval for and then executing um, a series of workshops to uh, explore some of the critical issues in the regulation of brain-computer interface technology that were uh, challenging for many uh, developers of innovative BCI systems. So what are some of those issues? One type of issue, um, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but essentially it's that um, when you have a set of implanted invasive electrodes that are controlling a prosthetic device, under current FDA regulation, um, that system has to be regulated together. So the FDA will review not only the implanted electrodes, but also um, all of the components of the prosthetic. And that can make for a very unwieldy project for a small company trying to develop a component of the system. So one of the concepts that was put forward in that workshop and has been continued to be discussed within FDA is the concept of modularity. So having perhaps different modules and what would the community need to do to allow certain modules of BCI system to be go through the regulatory process independently. How would you say entrepreneurs can prepare for success in this regulatory environment? Um, well, I think being as informed as possible, like, just like anything, um, you know, being really informed about the regulatory pathways um, and also the pathways that other similar devices, comparable devices have taken. So doing a lot of homework and research, and there is a lot of information available on CDRH's databases that are publicly accessible. Sometimes you have to really dig to find that information, but it exists. Um, so I think being informed is, is key. Uh, also, however, um, speaking to others who have been through the process and then to the FDA itself um, and starting a dialogue with the FDA early on is usually uh, critical, especially for very innovative technology. You've been a big advocate for females in science. What advice do you have for female entrepreneurs? Right. So, um, you know, at this point in time, um, neural interface Neural interface field or neural engineering looks a lot like the rest of engineering in that representation of, of women is, has definitely not reached parity and it's in the teens somewhere, um, which, is, which is a shame because it basically means that the field is missing out on a lot of talent um, and also it's, it's inequitable. Um, you know, and this is a problem that. Um, it's, it's tempting to say that, you know, there's an increased pipeline of, of young female engineers. And so the problem will naturally resolve itself if we just wait, you know, another five, ten years. But unfortunately, the evidence suggests that the pipeline's actually been increasing for quite a while. Um, and the problem hasn't resolved itself at that same rate. So there are other factors that are contributing to this loss of talent from our pipeline. Um, and I think that as a community, we need to first acknowledge that that is the case, um, that there are implicit biases that all of us hold, and not just men, women hold as well. We all need to address the fact that we hold our own biases and that these biases can influence um, things that have really important implications for young trainees' life. So for instance, even the language in which people use to write letters of recommendation can vary quite a bit between um, male applicants and female applicants. 
Uh, and you know, you may, as a PI, you may not realize that you're using different language. And so it's important to just be aware of the fact that you may fall subject to some of these biases. Also, given the same exact um, letter of recommendation or application, both men and women PIs make different judgments about a candidate depending on whether that candidate is male or female. And so understanding that um, we hold biases in our evaluations that may not be evident to us is one important step we can take to help increase representation. That and of course making our workplaces and um, conferences more uh, friendly to, to women and to those families. So what have you found exciting about the Neurotech Entrepreneurs Workshop? Yeah, this workshop's fabulous. There's an amazing group of people. Um, the students seem so talented and have a lot of really interesting ideas. I think that this kind of educational opportunity has been needed for a really long time in the field. Uh, this is something that I feel like people have been sort of asking for for a long time. So the fact that um, Doug and the other organizers spent the time to put this together is, is really wonderful. As a professor, what is your advice to budding entrepreneurs? Well, I would say that everyone should identify their area of passion. I think it's really important, whether you stay in academia or you move into industry or entrepreneurship in some other way, uh, it's really important to be doing something that you're very excited and motivated about. And one of the best ways to, to find your passions, I mean, you don't, may not know exactly what they are, one of the best ways to find your passions is to explore. And so coming to workshops like this, getting involved in internships or in academic, more academic research opportunities can help you really understand what is going to motivate you through the hard times. Because whether you stay in academia or whether you go into industry, you're certainly going to face a lot of challenges. And so you want to find um, those areas that are really going to give you that motivation and drive. So Kristen, in closing, can you just tell us what you find inspiring about this line of work? Absolutely. So what I find most inspiring about this line of work is um, being able to help patients, but also understand how we're helping them. I'm personally really inspired by understanding the mechanisms behind this, um, behind how devices work, and then using that information to make better, more effective, more efficient therapies. So. That's really my key area of passion and why I continue um, in having a, a foot in both worlds, one in, in basic science and one in more translational and applied technology. Thank you for listening to our interview with Kristen Welly. Discover more about the IEEE Brain Initiative and listen to other podcasts in the series by visiting our web portal at brain.ieee.org.